Welcome to another episode of the Prairie Perspective Podcast. Matt here, and alongside me is Eric and Dinesh. On today's jam-packed episode, the boys catch up with University of Saskatchewan Huskies and Saskatchewan Rattlers guard Chan DeSimmon. Chan talks his decorated high school career, his recruitment to the U.S., choosing basketball over football, and going against Jim Fredette during a visit to the University of Denver. The boys also talk to TSN's MMA reporter Aaron Bronstetter, about UFC 249, future potential UFC fights, and many of the other storylines surrounding the sport. But before we get to those interviews, let's see what's kicking with the boys. DB, what's happening, man? Yeah, weekend, Friday, I played at Holiday Park, played nine holes. You go low? Uh, no, I didn't go that low, but uh, I was hitting some good shots. I actually had more good shots than bad ones, so I was happy about that. Um, Then I had a nice barbecue with the boys, had some, like, uh, chicken breast kebabs it's pretty good then Saturday marshaled that was the same old drove around for the first uh, hour 40 and then uh, as soon as this other guy named Tom peaced out I got to sit on the tee box for the next uh, like three and a half hours <laughs> so I just sat there and uh, radioed the pro shop every once in a while but uh, pace was the best I've ever seen it at the Willows and uh, people were glad to see me out there. They were like, the chief is back in town. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you were taking a lot of flack from some of the boys at Willows. They uh, saw your name on the tee sheet and you weren't in attendance on the, for Saturday night's tee time. A lot of boys were calling out your uh, desire to golf, your passion for the game. What, what do you have to say to those comments? Don't got much to say. The couple of boys I talked to before I left on Saturday said, uh, yeah, you should come play. Uh, it, it's good weather. Come join those guys. But uh, ultimately, did uh, what's best. Just didn't come play. It's a bad decision because I was thinking of playing today. But yeah, obviously, today 2020 looks uh, windy as hell. But if it were up to Eric and he made the decisions for me, we'd be playing right now. So I don't know. Eric, what about you? How was the weekend? Um, yeah, the weekend was pretty solid. Um, got out and chilled in the backyard a lot. Went for a bunch of long bike rides um been chilling with the fellas too not much else going on um just been hanging with friends enjoying the weather um had some drinks yesterday and then we basically didn't sleep all last night so then it was about 4 30 in the morning so we're like hey lights out sun is shining we're still in the pocket let's go rip a quick quick round of golf so uh Fired up the troops, got Brett in action, uh, got Matty Sandys out and his girlfriend. Um, grabbed the clubs, grabbed some drinks, grabbed a speaker, jumped the fence, threw the clubs over, and absolutely fired a quick couple holes of golf. Um, we lost Brett on the first hole pretty quick off the hop. I think he sprayed three shots and then was like, fuck this, I'm out. Um, but me, Sandy, and his girl played three holes, I think. It was actually unbelievable. It was so nice out, like no one out, us and music, no noises, no distractions. Absolute horrible performance so on my behalf. I think I lost two balls the first hole. Yeah, and then uh, funny story coming in. So Brett's fence is, I don't know, it's maybe like an eight foot tall fence or something like that. Oh, okay, eight's maybe outrageous, but maybe like a seven foot tall fence. So we're jumping the fence, right? We got to throw the clubs over first and then we uh, jumped over. So I hopped over. Sandy hopped over and then sure as shit his girlfriend comes around she's like on top of the fence she's like standing about to jump to the other side and you know when you like 
she started like leaning back, like absolutely fallen and right on her back, like falls from seven foot high off the fence, just <laughs> flat on her back. And Sandy and I just like looked at each other and like, we, we were, we were buzzing still at this point. We're like, we, we, like at first we're like, all right, that's enough. Get up, shake it off. Turned out she just hit the ground like an absolute boulder. Yeah. And that was about it. Oh, yesterday when we were chilling in the backyard because Brett's house is on the course here. I tried to sell beers to a couple different groups. Like, I had a genius idea when I was on, like, the, my best ideas come from bikes or walking circles around the house. I don't know why. I don't know how. So I was biking, right? Light clicked in the head. The monkey starts hitting the freaking symbols in my brain. And um, red light goes off. Sell beers through the fence to Willow's golfers, right? I was like... Beers are probably like seven or eight bucks for my cart grill, just a can. And you got a tip. So I was like, okay, so how about like a five bill? Five bill is pretty generous. I can get a beer for two bucks a can. $3 profit margin on this can. Straight cash on me. Um, so yeah, so I tried to hustle that yesterday. It didn't really go as planned though because um, the couple of groups I finangled, they were, um, they basically said they were getting beers for four seventy five. So my business plan quickly fell through the drain. Time for our interview with Aaron, sponsored by our friends at FNA. When asked the question, are you in or in the way, do you respond to FNA? Founded in 2019 by a trio of Canadians, FNA attempts to inspire the pursuit of a no-bars-held lifestyle. The brand has behind everything from new wave streetwear, athletic apparel, party attire, and even outdoor driven. FNA seeks to stress they are more than an apparel company, but a way of life. No matter the circumstance, you can always say FNA. Check them out today at FNA.us. That's F-N-E-H U-S. While most sports around the world are at a standstill, UFC is an exception. Joining the Prairie Perspective podcast now to talk all things UFC is TSN's UFC reporter, Aaron Bronstetter. How's it going, man? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. We're fresh off UFC 249, and one of the main storylines heading in was obviously the prevalence of COVID-19. And after Ronaldo Souza tested positive, Dana White took some flack from epidemiologists regarding his handling of the situation. What is your opinion on how Dana handled it all? Well, Dana said that it was a home run, and uh, I think it was more of a triple. The reason why I think it was more of a triple was, and you're wearing a Chicago Cubs hat, so I think you, you understand my baseball uh, terminology. Uh, essentially, he, you know, the, the big issue that I had with it was that when he checked in on Wednesday and disclosed that he had a family member that had COVID-19, the, the thing that I don't understand is why not just cancel it there and then? Like, this card wouldn't have been affected much by Jacare versus Uriah Hall not being on it. In fact, they weren't on it, and it's still sold 700,000 pay-per-views according to reports. So, um, I just don't understand why you, you prolong something like that, why you make Jacare make the weight, why you have that distanced weigh-in stare-off. I know that they didn't have the results yet, but they, they knew that he had been in contact with someone with the virus. So in the interest of safety, why not either just send him home or quarantine him immediately and, uh, and test him in his room, be, you know, uh, be transparent about it, send out a release saying we had an athlete disclosed that they were in the presence of someone with COVID-19 and out of an abundance of precaution, we've decided to not have him compete on the card or to wait for results to come back before we clear him to compete. So pretty much all major sporting organizations looking to resume right now. What do you think maybe is something that they learned from how everything went down? Well, I'm not really sure. I think that the amount of testing that the UFC did should be the standard. I mean, they were, they were testing, I think they had 1200 tests in total that they had used over the course of their time in Jacksonville, which is a large number. And uh, I think that that's what you have to do. You really do have to act with, uh, with, you know, caution being the foremost thing in mind. And I think that they did that. And I, I think that other sports have to be even more cautious because in a team sport environment, 
what you see is um, one athlete gets it and then the rest of the locker room can be compromised. So imagine if there's a, a, a league going and someone in the locker room gets it. What do you do? Does that whole team quarantine for two weeks and then you just don't have that team compete? There's a lot more logistics to go into team sports, whereas the UFC is kind of, um, you know, to, to an extent, they're, they're a little bit exempt from that sort of thing because they, they can afford to have, um, you know, different situations where if an athlete gets it, they can just move on to the next card. It, it doesn't really affect them because the, the roster doesn't travel with the promotion. It's just you go in, you compete, and then you leave. So if, if, they, if they do that, they don't really have too much to worry about, whereas a major sport, especially a team sport, has to worry about whether or not an entire team needs to be um, quarantined or, or self-isolated if uh, someone on the team ends up having it. Looking at the fights themselves, what did you make of the weekend? And did you like Justin in the main event heading in? You know, that, that one was always a tough one to call because I thought that uh, Ferguson would have the advantage because he has such an advantage in terms of training. Like the fact that he can train at his house, nothing's really super interrupted for him. He had more notice. He had a full camp. I thought that he would he would be the, the person uh, that would be the right rightful favorite like he was. But Justin Gaethje, and this was the other thing that I was unclear about with Justin Gaethje was you look at um, what, uh, what Gaethje has going for him, and he can get baited into a brawl. In fact, he wants to brawl. But in his three fights prior to Ferguson, he was taking a much more measured approach, a much more careful approach. I wasn't sure if Ferguson was going to let him take that measured approach, if he was going to be able to bait Gaethje into a draw, into a, a, a brawl. And I think in a brawl, Ferguson is technical enough to have a bit of an advantage there. But Gaethje is now a lot more measured. He's a lot more careful with what he does. And I think that that gives him an advantage in a lot of different matchups in the UFC. And the Khabib matchup to me is very interesting. I, I've always thought that Gaethje would pose interesting matchup issues for Khabib, just like Tony Ferguson did. What do you think is uh, next for Tony Ferguson? He said uh, in post-fight interview, like, back to the round robin. He's going to have to try to work his way back up. Uh, what do you think is next for him after this uh, loss? I think, uh, I think what he needs to do is, um, you know, if, if it were up to me and he could recover from this injury quickly, I think Ferguson versus Connor is the fight to make. I've been saying this for a while because I think that if Ferguson beats Connor, he fights either – Habib or the rematch with Gaethje. If Connor beats Ferguson, he faces either Gaethje or the rematch with Habib. So you're getting a win either way. Like it's a total win-win situation for the fans. So that's why I think that would be the fight to make for Ferguson is you haven't faced Connor. But uh, if he's not healthy enough and Connor wants to come back sooner, I think you'll see the UFC go in a different direction. With that same card, Francis Gano, uh, his uh, Twitter back and forth with John Jones. Do you think that fight will ever uh, take place, or is it just all talk? Well, the issue right now is that uh, Jones did an interview with uh, MMA junkies John Morgan and said that, you know, the UFC is not offering him even a, a single dollar over what he makes now to move to heavyweight. And I just think that's a massive mistake. I think that you've got to give him some incentive. But right now, the problem with John Jones, and I mentioned this on my podcast this week, is that he just doesn't have the, – the UFC just doesn't have the incentive to reward John Jones right now. Look at the position John Jones has put himself in. He's had all these outside-the-cage problems as of late. And – he if you look at his fights since the first Alexander Gustafson fight outside of the Cormier fight, which is a no contest, he's only had one finish. So he's starting to become known as a decision machine. And that kind of thing lowers your value in the eyes of UFC brass. I personally think that there's no more intriguing fight in the UFC right now than John Jones versus Francis and Ganu. I would gladly pay these guys to do it, but it's not my money to deal with. 
the UFC also doesn't have a gate coming in for their live events, so they're losing money in that way. So John Jones, from a position of leverage, he just doesn't have a lot of it in terms of negotiations because you're in the middle of the coronavirus, so there's no gate. Right now, you, you were just in legal problems, which makes the UFC look bad. And you're getting all of these decision wins, plus your win over Dominic Reyes was suspect. A lot of people thought Reyes won that fight, and there's a lot of incentive for the UFC to run that one back. So he's just in the worst possible position of bargaining right now when it comes to trying to get more money out of the UFC. And I can understand where the UFC is coming from from a promotional standpoint on not wanting to reward him for bad behavior. And, and unfortunately for Francis Ngannou, he's kind of in no man's land because the only fight that really makes sense for him right now, outside of something with Stipe or Cormier, since they're looking to fight for the heavyweight championship next, would be John Jones. So he kind of has to sit around. He's basically beaten everybody else in the division um, with, with a couple exceptions. You know, you could do a Derek Lewis rematch, but that fight was so boring the first time that why even book that a second time and, and, and worry about replicating that exact same thing and, and then looking bad after the fact. So right now, there just aren't a lot of options for Francis Ngannou. He's the one that gets hurt the most by this. Moving on to UFC 250, uh, news came out that Tyron Woodley is uh, headlining that card. Uh, should he have maybe waited to uh, fight Kobe or was this the best option for him? And uh, Kobe's also been saying that he's been ducking him, like Woodley's been dodging him. They can't get a deal. What are, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, I wonder who's telling the truth in that situation because both of them are saying that the other one is ducking the other one. But um, I think that I love this match with Burns, honestly. I think Burns, since he's moved to welterweight, has had a real career renaissance. He was so touch and go at, at lightweight. I would like to see what he has at welterweight. If he can get a win here over Woodley, it would be so huge for Gilbert Burns. And, and Gilbert Burns has made such strides in that division. But yeah, I think that Woodley versus Covington would be a good fight to make. But how much longer can Woodley wait? I mean, Woodley hasn't fought since last March. He's been on the shelf. And he was a fairly active fighter, although most people would, would, would disagree with that statement. As champion, and a lot of people don't realize this, you know, people said he was an inactive champion. He was the most active male champion from the time he won the belt to the time he lost the belt. And a lot of people don't understand that they, they always think that for whatever reason he was inactive as a champion it was quite the opposite so he's taking some time away and I think he's just hungry to get back in there um, I think that if they offered him Colby or Gilbert Burns and they offered him the same amount of money I don't see why he wouldn't take the fight with Colby so I tend to believe Tyron in this case we have to ask about George St. Pierre uh, where do you think he stands amongst the list of the greatest of all time and uh, what were your thoughts on his Hall of Fame uh, induction in, done in front of no fans present in terms of his, uh, him being the greatest of all time, I, went on, I was on SportsCenter in Canada, and um, I got a lot of flack for this because I said that John Jones, I thought, was the best of all time, and I thought that George was second. People didn't like that, and, they, you know, they always argue, ah, oh, well, John Jones failed drug tests. But the issue is, like, if you look at baseball, for example, and I keep mentioning baseball. I'm not even a big baseball guy, but if you look at Barry Bonds, you look at Mark McGuire, you look at the whole steroid era, they call it, in baseball, all of the baseball writers, for whatever reason, are not letting these guys into the Hall of Fame, Roger Clemens included as well. But they're letting other people from that era into the Hall of Fame. So you're working under the assumption that just this three people have taken steroids during the steroid era, but everybody else is clean. It's like it's, it's a weird dynamic that you're punishing certain people from an era and rewarding others, but they all fought in the same era on the same playing field. John Jones never tested positive in the, in the, the, the pre-USADA era of the UFC. And that's when George St. Pierre did most of his best work. So if you're going to say, ah, oh, well, you know, John, John's compromised, you have to kind of say that everybody from that entire era was compromised because basically it was an IQ test when you got tested for performance-enhancing drugs by the commissions. It wasn't random testing. It was like you show up, you're going to get tested on this day, and you have to pass the test then. It was so easy to be 
to dope during that era. So to reward certain people from that era and then completely write off others, I mean, John Jones, the best part of John Jones' career was during that era. He was beating, in a row, I think it was, he beat, he beat um, Ryan Bader, Shogun Hua, Rampage Jackson, Lyoto Machida, and, and Rashad Evans. I think it was actually in that order, which is in, in, such an incredible accomplishment to do that during that era in your 20s, no less. Uh, to me, John Jones has beaten two generations of light heavyweights, and he's already working towards beating a third generation of light heavyweights. That's why I consider him the greatest of all time. Um, he has no losses, at least no real losses. That Matt Hamill loss was uh, kind of a fugazi. So I just personally think that John has the best resume of any mixed martial artist ever. It, it's, aside from the drug test, there are no blemishes on it. I got to ask your opinion here. What do you believe is more feasible, Floyd versus Pacquiao round two or Tyson making a comeback? Wow. Uh, that's a good question, Eric. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question. Um, because I think that Tyson having a comeback has some legs. Like there are, there would be a commission that would sanction that if it was the right opponent. God, I think it would be the Tyson comeback. I do. No way. I just think that when you think of Floyd and Pacquiao, there are just too many people at the table. When you have too many people at the table, it takes forever to get a deal done. And Floyd's not going to fight when there's no gate. So, I mean, and Tyson, I don't know if he would fight with no gate. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think a Tyson comeback might actually be more realistic, but as crazy as that, that is to say. Um, infamously back in August, 2019, Nate Diaz was smoking a joint during an open workout for UFC 241. What were your thoughts on the use? What are your thoughts on the use of marijuana in the UFC? I actually spoke to Jeff Nowitzki about this last week because we saw Kelvin Gastelum got a suspension for having too much THC in the system, uh, during his last fight, uh, against Darren Till in New York. And he had said that they want to get rid of THC as a banned substance on the water list. So it seemed like the UFC have no issue with use. I have no issue with use. Um, what he was smoking at those workouts, because his test, I guess, hasn't come back negative or, or positive, rather, like Gaslam's. He said he was using a CBD, 100% uh, uh, CBD-based substance. So CBD is, is totally clear. Like, you could, you could, you could use, smoke a CBD joint before you walk out to the cage, and it's not going to impact um, your drug tests, like failing or, or passing a drug test, uh, as long as the, there's no THC in it. Uh, personally, I just think, I, I don't, just don't think you can call it a performance enhancing drug. I just don't understand why it would be on the list to begin with. I understand that it's an illicit drug in certain states, but I, I think the WADA should remove it. And I think that they probably will remove THC as a banned substance in, in competition at some point in time. Okay. I have to bring it back even farther now to August of 2017. McGregor jumped ship and fought Floyd in a boxing event. What do you make of both UFC fighters and boxers wanting a flip-flop between the two? I think it's ridiculous and I hate it. Honestly, I just, I, I despise it. I think that if Dana White put together Zufa boxing and two UFC fighters wanted to box each other, like I could kind of get behind that. But I just don't know why people equate the two, like why there has to be this correlation between MMA and boxing. Like, are you, like, you want to fight Errol Spence? Are you crazy? Like, they'll get destroyed. It would be like, you know, if, if like LeBron James wanted to play tennis against, Novak Djokovic like I understand LeBron James is an uber athlete but you're gonna get you're gonna get smoked by the people that are at the top of another sport when you're competing in their sport it, like it, it I'd rather there be more I'd rather there be crossover and more crossover into pro wrestling than there would be into boxing like I, I just don't get why all these fighters are fixated I mean I get you want a paycheck I think these fighters would box anybody for a paycheck and that's what it comes down to just, just make more money but you, you also have to have demand and they're just not like there, – there wouldn't be any demand to watch Max Holloway box Manny Pacquiao. Like, there's just not demand for it. 
the I think Connor versus Floyd, you kind of hit lightning in a bottle. It was a one-time thing. It was it was fun. We're kind of over it now. I thought Connor looked pretty good in there, all things considered. But I think that it was pretty clear that Floyd was kind of leading him. I think that Floyd could have make that made that fight go however he wanted to. I mean, Floyd is the best boxer of our lifetime. I I don't think the the, the fact that Connor you could have gotten odds on McGregor. Floyd Mayweather, you could have gotten Floyd Mayweather at minus 250 right before that fight started, which is honestly the best value of anything I've ever seen in any sport betting proposition in history. Like Floyd was a 10 to 1 favorite against Andre Berto, who's an actual boxer, and he was minus 250 against McGregor. It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen, but that's just how sports betting works. I mean, lots of action was coming in in Connor, and that's how they set the lines, but Man, I, I just still can't – to this day, it's one of the most shocking things I've seen in sport is that you could have gotten that much value on Floyd Mayweather. But I, I honestly, I hate it. I hate when Ngannou's calling out Anthony Joshua. Like, I just don't want to see it. I'm, I'm not interested. I know Khabib is now 28-0, and in the majority of his fights, he's dominated his opponents. Do you see anyone ever beating him? And if so, who? You know, right now with Khabib's dad in the hospital, if things go south, and I really hope that they don't, obviously – uh, I'm not sure if we see Khabib fight again. I, like his relationship with his dad is that important to him, and his dad is that instrumental of a figure in his career that I'm not sure if he'd want to get back in there. Honestly, uh, we'll see. I, I don't know. I don't want to really comment on what Khabib's character is in that sense, like or, of how he would react to some, something like that. But should Khabib continue to fight, I, I've always said I think that Ferguson poses the most threats to him in a fight because I think that if you take down Ferguson, that's where Ferguson is going to be at his most dangerous. I've also said from a matchup standpoint that Charles Oliveira is an interesting opponent for him, uh, just from a strict matchup standpoint. Uh, Gaethje, I think, is an interesting matchup too. It depends on how easily Khabib is able to take Gaethje down, how much Gaethje works on his wrestling, how much Gaethje's wrestling is still in it. But um, yeah, I think that I think that the two people that would pose the biggest threat to Khabib would be Gaethje and Ferguson. Uh, and I think we're, we're going to see that Gaethje fight, and we'll see if Ferguson can get back to a position where he fights Khabib. But I think the fight to make the the time to have made Khabib versus Ferguson was three four years ago, and uh, I think Ferguson has diminished a little bit as a fighter since then, and I think that showed in the Gaethje fight. I'm not getting any sound from you, Danush. Uh-oh, Danush. <laughs> okay, I'll just take this one here. Uh, I know you've been around Dana White a lot. Uh, I'm wondering what he's like to interview. Like, you see him as a real savvy business guy. Is that kind of what he's really like? Matt, he's an interesting guy to interview. He's actually my favorite guy to interview in MMA because I find it so challenging. You just never know what Dana's going to be like on any given day when he shows up. He could be in a good mood. He could be in a bad mood. And I really like to challenge him. And sometimes he, li- he likes that and embraces that. And sometimes he doesn't like it. It depends on the day. But I, I love, like, there's nothing that gets me out of bed more than interviewing Dana White. Because I just, I find it to be so challenging and so interesting. Um, you know, the last thing you want to get out of Dana White is the same answers as everybody else. Because you'll listen to 10 Dana White interviews and he'll give the exact same answer to the same people when they ask the same question over and over again. So I have to find ways to ask that same question in a different manner, in a way that's going to engage him and get him to give me something interesting for those of you that don't know you worked at the score before uh how did you get into covering mma and uh how did that all transpire well it's a long road um it took me a while to get to where i am uh in terms of covering mma so i did start at the score i I produced a show called sports rage with gabriel morenci uh then i produced um another show called last call 
I eventually ended up producing the uh, the MMA show with Mauro Ranallo, which was a day-to-day mixed martial arts talk show. So that's where I really got my feet wet in terms of MMA, although I did do a lot of stuff on Sports Rage as well. And then uh, produced Tim and Sid for a little bit as well before moving to TSN. And then I was a guest booker for Off the Record with Michael Landsberg. And I was booking a lot of MMA guests for Michael. And, uh, you know, we got the rights to the UFC at TSN. And I kept saying to my boss, we need to cover the sport more. You know, the sport is really starting to pick up. Conor McGregor is like a, a massive star now. Ronda Rousey is a massive crossover star. We need to start covering this. We need to start sending a reporter to this. And he said, well, why don't we send you? You know more about the sport than anybody else. Would you, be, would you want to take on that challenge? And I said, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's really how I got my start. It was just, uh, they, they knew that I was competent. They knew that I knew what I was talking about. And since then, it's just been a work in progress. I keep trying to get better and better every single day. Uh, I keep trying to add new skills and sharpen my skills. And uh, I still like, think that I'm only 40% of the way towards where I can get in terms of how, how I cover this sport. I, I keep wanting to push myself further and further. And I never want to get comfortable. I never want to get complacent. Now I got to ask you the best fight you've ever been to. Probably Jones versus Gustafson, the first one. Uh, usually I cover, when I cover the sports now, I'm in the back. I'm never out by the cage for the most part. The only fights that I've seen cage side since I've started at the, uh, covering at the uh, UFC events was uh, I was in Rochester and I saw Michelle Peheja's debut and he's amazing to watch in the cage. And I saw the main event of that card, which was Kevin Lee versus Rafael Dos Anjos. And I sat cage side for Justin Gaethje versus uh, Cowboy Cerrone. Those are the only fights that I've seen cage side. But I got to watch Jones versus Gustafson. I wasn't cage side, but I was in the crowd. I was also in the crowd for UFC 100. I was in the crowd for John Jones's first ever UFC fight in Minnesota. I was in the, in the crowd for that one. But uh, Jones versus Gustafson was a special, special fight to be at. Uh, the, the crowd in Toronto was amazing. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not even sure that if I'll be able to top that experience in terms of being, in terms of sitting outside by the cage and, and seeing that one uh in person it's hard it's a hard question for me to ask to answer because uh, like i said most of the fights that i watch i watch on a tv like you guys i'm just sitting in i'm sitting in the arena in the back watching it on the tv so a lot of people are like oh you get to watch all the fights i'm like well i get to watch them just like you do i just happen to get to talk to the people right after they compete which is kind of a a surreal experience you see them out there and then like suddenly they're walking towards you which is kind of a cool experience but in terms of the actual experience of watching the fight and interacting with it it's very rare that i actually get to be out uh, in the arena, watching it, uh, watching it with with the crowd. All right, the last one I got to ask you about UFC two two nine with Connor and Khabib. Um, the whole build up with the bus incident and then Connor going to jail with the assault. What was that spectacle like for you to cover? Well, when Connor went to go and break the the, the bus window, I was in the concourse of the building, and him and his crew no ran by. And I, and I started to run and try to get footage. And someone from the UFC's PR department was like, that's not a good idea. And I was like, okay, <laughs> well, I guess I'm not going to do that. Um, my colleague, Jim Edwards, was the lucky one who was able to chase, chase them down and kind of catch footage. He got, I think he got in some trouble for it, but whatever. But uh, that, I was like right there when that happened, which was kind of cool. Um, and then I was in the building when Habib beat Connor and then ran out, ran out uh, into the crowd. And I got to speak to Dana White like minutes after that happened. So that was kind of cool. And then I was also, when I was in Brooklyn and Connor got arrested, I went to the courthouse. So I was at the courthouse covering it from like a news angle also. I was there for two straight days covering the news angle of it. Not to mention that an underrated part of that whole thing was that the like, so here's, so it was basically 
it was April Fool's Day. It was April 1st when Dana White came out and said that uh, Ferguson was out of the fight and everybody thought it was a joke, but it actually was true. And then Holloway missed, uh, got pulled by the New York State Commission and missed weight. I was at the courthouse when he missed weight. When Sorry, they, they wouldn't let him make weight. And he got pulled from the fight. And then Ally Akinta filled in. We were, I was at the courthouse waiting to find out what was happening with that fight. And then they decided to, to let Ally Akinta fight him. That was just a crazy week. So much stuff happened in the lead-up. Basically, from that Brooklyn event till UFC 229, so much stuff happened. That's ridiculous. Being Saskatoon kids, we'll close with this. Uh, UFC fight night was just canceled, as you know. What are you hearing regarding how long will we have to wait until MMA returns to the prairies? I'm holding on hope that it would still happen because you guys have such a low count of the coronavirus, but then you know the people from the U.S. are going to come into Saskatchewan. I don't think that Saskatchewan is going to be so too keen on that, even though it would be to an empty arena, I'm sure, if they did fight. Um, although, you know, Char- Charles Jordan, who's Canadian and, and lives in Montreal, said that he's going to have a fight coming up. And I, I reached out to him and said, you know, how are you going to be able to travel to uh, this event and compete with the borders closed? And he said that essential business travel, uh, they, they believe that this is going to be deemed as essential business travel for him to actually travel into the U.S. So that's why I was holding out hope that they'd continue to hold events in, in Saskatchewan because you're, you need Canadians on these cards. Like Canadians need to compete. And if they can't enter the U.S., like the only place that they could really compete is in Canada. But uh, yeah, just logistically, I didn't think it was going to happen. But I know that the Canadians need to compete. And I guess if they're going to find out, find a way for them to be able to get to the Apex and compete, that that's really, that's big for them. We really appreciate the time, Aaron. This was awesome. You gave a lot of insight and uh, we really appreciate it. Well, thank you guys. Best, best of luck with everything. If you guys need any uh, help or anything, let me know. I, I was once a student at Brock University hosting a basketball show on Brock Radio. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I've, I've been in your shoes and, uh, you know, anything I can do to help you guys out, I, I'm glad to do that. Again, thanks to Aaron for joining the boys. Staying with the theme of UFC, last night's UFC fight night, its main event featured Woodley versus Burns, which saw Burns emerge victorious. DB, I'm guessing you were uh, glued to the screen last night. What were your thoughts on everything that transpired? The whole card was uh, fairly good. It was on TSN, so I watched a little bit of it, watched a couple fights before that too. And uh, it was actually fairly good. Main event came around. I thought Woodley might win the way he's talking. He said he had the best uh, training camp. He was mentally ready, this and that. Thought he would uh, have the win there. But uh, Gilbert Burns came right out of the gate, firing on all cylinders right from the get-go, took him down, started beating him. And then uh, I thought Herb Dean was going to stop the match right in the first round. But Woodley has the best takedown defense in uh, welterweight history, so he is able to come back. Uh, but I think the whole fight, Tyrone Woodley was just uh, a little bit hesitant. He wasn't able to attack. He's playing defense the whole fight, and he basically got his ass handed to him. But I don't know, man. I don't think he's done yet. He's 38, but uh, I think he's still got a little bit more gas left in the tank. But we'll see where he goes, man. Like Eric said earlier, he's kind of old, so... I don't know. Maybe he's about that broadcast career now and rap career, not the fighting career. Who knows? <laughs> Looking ahead to next week, UFC 250 features a prominent Canadian in the main event. Uh, what are you going to be looking for next weekend? Well, she is uh, fighting the uh, greatest uh, women's fighter in the world uh, and probably of all time, Amanda Nunes. So she's a huge underdog. So, uh, but in the fight game, anything can happen on any given night. So I really hope she's able to get off a huge upset and beat Nunes because that'd be unreal. That'd be like George St. Pierre, like 
type vibes back in the day where he was able to win the title and bring like like UFC back to Canada like and have that whole country on his back but she's got a heavy task in front of her but you know anything can happen and I hope she can win I'll definitely be watching that one I think a lot of people will be watching that don't even know UFC just because no sports and she's a Canadian fighting the greatest fighter of all time on the main stage so it'll be good I'm excited yeah Felicia Spencer's a plus 365 underdog so she's definitely got the cards stacked up against her but It'll be interesting to see. For sure. And now after that fight, the UFC is back on schedule, apparently. So they were able to squeeze out that three events in one week, and then these last two, this event next week. And after that, they're back on schedule. They've uh, made up for the events that they missed during the pandemic. So Dana White was pretty happy about that. Yeah, then the John Jones was John Jones, and which is like the greatest uh, lightweight of all time, they're saying, or the GOAT in fighting was having some mad beef with Dana White, too. The GOAT, according to Aaron Bronstetter. Yeah, according to Aaron Bronstetter, he loves John Jones. Those guys were having mad beef on uh, over Twitter, saying, like, uh, Dana White was like, yeah, he's asking for way too much money. And then uh, John Jones was saying, like, if you're calling me the GOAT, then why aren't you paying me the GOAT's numbers? Deontay Wilder's making $30 million and I'm not even making half of half that. And... Uh, he basically asked for a release from the UFC and he said uh, he's going to revoke his title and walk away. <laughs> we'll see what happens. A lot of guys talk, but where else would always... he go? Pardon? Boxing potentially? Yeah, like where oh, else no, would to he a go? different d- To a different promotion like Belter or a different mixed martial arts promotion. There's a few other promotions. A lot of guys just talk, you know. <laughs> he's probably not going to go anywhere, man. He's just talking, you know. He said he gets five mil a fight. Deontay Wilder makes like 30 mil a fight. So... Uh, but at the, yesterday Dana said it's all about numbers. John Jones hasn't pulled any numbers worth shit in his last in his last pay per views. So how can he be asking for thirty million when he doesn't even bring in numbers himself? So we'll see what happens. But I think he's all talk, man. And people Funny talks and bullshit walks. Yeah, man. And he's lost a lot of respect too now because he just got arrested again, like recently, not too long ago, right? A month and a half ago or something. Just when you thought he had it all done with and he's kind of coming back so i don't know man we'll have to see in other sports news it was announced this weekend that the mckenzie tour also known as the pga tour of canada was canceled for the 2020 season the announcement doesn't really come as a surprise with the first couple of events already being canceled but they elected to cancel the remainder of the tournaments as well in large part due to the canadian government's 14-day quarantine law following a return from the united states a similar issue that the university a similar issue that the NHL is currently attempting to deal with as Canadian cities vie for an opportunity to serve as a hub city in their return to play motion. While there was no events planned for Saskatchewan, as has been the case for the past number of years, this does come as a disappointment for our boy and friend of the show, Sahit Tiala, who was planning on playing up in Canada in a couple of events this year. Eric, I know you had the chance to caddy at Dakota Dunes when the McKenzie Tour took place here in Sask. What do you remember about your time in the bag? Oh, honestly, I, it was unbelievable. I signed up. Um, basically just to be a volunteer caddy. So the guy I caddied for, his name was uh, Jocko Allers, actually. And he was he was in the mix the entire week of the tournament. And um, yeah, he was in the final pairing with uh, Nick Taylor. And I think Nick Taylor ended up going on to win it. And then Jocko finished like third or something like that. But it was pretty cool to see some of these studs on the tour now, like being in the big leagues in the uh, PGA Tour, like Nick Taylor, of course. Um, no, it's kind of disappointing because it's it's fun to get out and watch that, and it's local to Canada, which is pretty cool, I think. 
and a good stepping stone for these guys who are looking to get to the next level. For sure, Tony Finau is an example of a player who got his start on the McKenzie Tour. Uh, Dinesh, what's your what's your analysis on how this affects golf? Yeah, I think it impacts golf for those guys who have statuses on mini tours. That's basically their living. They kind of have to work. They're working two jobs and stuff like that, and they rely heavily on playing on the McKenzie Tour or these other American or these Amer- mini tours or like Latin American tours to make a little bit of money to help them out and try to take their game to the next level, as well as just able to feed their family and stuff like that. So uh, with the tour being canceled, it's going to be tough, and these guys are going to have to resort to uh, other revenues of income to uh, put food on the table. But uh, as far as, like, up-and-coming college players, um, they can find – they'll be able to find uh, ways, if uh, depending on their caliber of play, they'll be able to find other tours, like, uh, for example, Zaheath. I'm sure uh, he might get a couple of sponsors exemptions once uh, Tour gets back and rolling just because he won the Fred Haskins. And uh, he might be able to go play on some U.S. mini tour. They might give him some uh, exemption right into the – for those guys who have statuses on mini tours, that's basically their living. They kind of have to work – they're working two jobs and stuff like that. And they rely heavily on playing on the McKenzie Tour or these other American – or these Amer- mini tours or like Latin American tours to make a little bit of money to help them out and try to take their game to the next level as well as just able to feed their family and stuff like that. So uh, with the tour being canceled, it's going to be tough and these guys are going to have to resort to uh, other re- revenues of income to uh, put food on the table. But uh, as far as like up-and-coming college players um, – they can find, they'll be able to find uh, ways if, uh, depending on their caliber of play, they'll be able to find other tours. Like, uh, for example, Zaheath. I'm sure uh, he might get a couple of sponsors exemptions once uh, Tour gets back and rolling just because he won the Fred Haskins. And uh, he might be able to go play on some U.S. mini tour. They might give him some uh, exemption right into the Q School uh, qualifiers to try to get onto the Corn Ferry tour. Um, so we'll just have to see how it plays out. But, uh, yeah, I feel bad for the guys that, yeah, that have been grinding on the mini tours. It's going to definitely take a hit on them. But I guess it's uh, what has to be done, and they'll uh, they'll be fine. They'll come back next year with a sense of uh, revenge and hopefully shoot lights out. But we'll see. It's too bad that the, the uh, Saskatoon uh, or Dakota Dunes Opens doesn't take place here anymore. But it did. I heard it was a pretty good turnout from the, all the locals here. Yeah, I know I read Adam Stanley's article for Sportsnet. He was on our third episode of the podcast, and uh, he kind of highlighted that, like, for a lot of these guys, this life isn't really glamorous. They're kind of just getting by paycheck to paycheck, looking to continue their career, hanging on to any hope of uh, really trying to make it to that next level. And just seeing a, a tour that they maybe rely on to get just get some money to put food on the table for their families, it can be a big blow to some of their careers. So hopefully this doesn't serve as a uh, – the end for for a lot of young golfers I know there was one uh, player that Adam highlighted who kind of has to resort to working at a, a golf center right now just answering answering the phone and uh just to get money in the bank account yeah but as far as our boy Sahith goes I'm sure he'll be fine if uh for this I know he was trying to go play up in Canada and try to qualify there and basically like you play on the McKenzie tour and like top like after the end of the season the top five from there get status on corn Ferry tour and then top 25 from there go to the pga tour so it's kind of a 
you got to be really good on the McKenzie. You basically got to finish in the top five on the tour, on the McKenzie tour, if you want to get status to the next tour. So a lot of those guys have been grinding. They've been close to that, uh, the five, they call it. They've been six, seven, eight, you know, but they still can't make it. You got to be in the top five. So it's tough to see it not be there to give them another chance this year, but it is what it is. And it's, I guess it's what had to happen. Time now to kick it over to interview Chan presented to you by our friends at FNA. When asked the question, are you in or in the way, do you respond FNA? Founded in 2019 by a trio of Canadians, FNA attempts to inspire the pursuit of a no bar sell lifestyle. The brand has been coined everything from new wave streetwear, athletic apparel, party attire, and even outdoor driven. FNA seeks to stress they are more than an apparel company, but a way of life. No matter the circumstance, you can always say FNA. Check them out today at FNA.us. That's FNEH.us. Welcome to the Perry Perspective Podcast, a three time high school provincial champion in both football and basketball, with Regina's boldest Golden Sons, a former Mr. Basketball Saskatchewan current member of the University of Saskatchewan Huskies and Saskatchewan Rattlers, Chana Simmons. Chan, thanks for joining us. How's the uh, offseason been for you? It's been weird, man. It's obviously, it's been, it's one for the books, you know, never expected this. Um, I know it's kind of hard right now, obviously, with everything being closed. Um, it's kind of hard to stay motivated. I think it's probably the, the thing I find like a struggle with. Um, but no, it's it's been good so far. Just just you know, kind of like taking this time to just reflect and just kind of, I don't look at things a way you can improve like mentally and all that stuff. Obviously not physically. So it's been it's been a weird off season. I, I, that's the best way I can put it. I don't know, but it's 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 a long ways to go. But I think we'll we'll figure something out. I think Coach Barry has something planned for us going forward. Like we've been doing like Zoom meetings with our team, like doing like workouts and stuff. So kind of keep everyone. Uh, I guess discipline and everyone in shape. So we've been doing that a couple times a week. Just trying to go outside as much as I can, like doing some out- outdoor workouts and going to the uh, to the course to go shoot. So it's obviously different, yeah. Just, just not having your regular routine. So you just got to find ways. No one's kicked you off the courts, man. Saying, "Hey, get out," because I can't have you out there or something. Yeah, it was literally like the first day. I think they um like all like this COVID stuff was going on. Like I was literally about to go to the gym. I think we called a bunch of guys to go for a scrimmage. Like we had like a scrimmage like the other day or the day before, and we like went in there and like really all just shooting about like really about to start playing. All of a sudden, this like guy like the one of the managers of the building comes in, and just kicks us all out. So yeah, like sorry <laughs> man, like we have to go. Like this COVID stuff's going on, and all of a sudden, man, like come on, like really like we like we're clean, like you know we're chilling all day, like we just want to get shots up. And it's just. So that was the first day it started, and then I didn't think it was going to take off like this. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm just trying to just adjust as best we can. It was just recently announced that Canada West teams will only play teams in the region next year. So basically the Huskies will play Regina, Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I didn't – like Barry, like our, I guess our coach, he, yeah. he said we had to meet tomorrow. So I guess it's obviously about this. That's crazy. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's going to be weird. Yeah, basically the reason is just to reduce costs and cut down on travel, right? Yeah, honestly, I I would actually. It's obviously gonna like suck playing the same team over and over again, but I don't know. You gotta do what you gotta do at the yeah, same exactly. time. Like, I wouldn't mind playing Regina, going back, and, you know, playing in front of my fan or my family and all that stuff, and yeah. that environment too. So I'm playing against all my old teammates over there, so that'll be pretty cool. But yeah, I didn't hear about that till till now. That's crazy. Are they doing that for for all sports? Yeah, so football, they cut the schedule down to five games, and then 
sounds like hockey won't be just because there's so many less uh, teams. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like basketball, volleyball, and soccer are all doing that. Damn, I didn't hear about that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would, actually, I don't, I, I agree with them, honestly. It's better than just cutting the season as a whole. Obviously, it just passes. Like, I, I get it. Like, it's obviously, this is really hurting a lot of people right now, especially, like, businesses and, you know, the government. So, I guess it's it's understandable that you got to cut costs. So, I guess they're doing the best they can, which, I don't know, I'd, it's better, I guess, than, than cutting the whole season in general. So, I can't complain. Was it a pretty tough choice for you to leave Regina in the first place? Or did you kind of no, know? Like, I kind of had my eyes set. Like, I always wanted to leave Regina because my family kind of always went down that route. They all left to go play at, uh, either down south. So I just figured, yeah, I don't know. I just I kind of wanted to stay close, but, like, far at the same time, if that makes sense. So, like, Saskatoon, I felt, was perfect for me. Like, it was just you know, just down the road and I can come back for a weekend, you know, visit family, come back for family functions. Because I noticed that with my older brother, he he really missed out on a lot of, you know, Christmases and, and Thanksgivings and stuff because he went to school in Colorado. And obviously he enjoyed it down there. He had a really successful career and all that. But I feel like, I don't know, it was really important for me to just stay uh, close to family. And it's worked out so far, yeah. And just... uh Follow up on that. Uh, for those of the people that don't know, your brother played obviously Division One at Colorado State and then professionally overseas. So, uh, what influences uh, he had on you and as a person and as a player? Man, he, man, he's probably one of the biggest influences I probably had in basketball. Um, we were always competitive growing up. You know, we always played in the driveway, like one on one for like hours. Yeah, you know, he just he just really just gave me like a lot of advice, especially trying to balance studies and and uh, athletics because he's been he's a really successful. He I think he was all uh, all American or all academic American his all his four years in Colorado. So he's kind of you know paved the way for me in that, and then I'm um, kind of just his his overseas experience too was kind of neat for me because now I'm kind of getting to that stage now where I have to kind of make a decision where if I want to play overseas, so. Just like it's nice to have someone you know in my family I can really talk to that went through the same thing, and my older sister too, actually played overseas in Portugal and Spain too. So I know I've been kind of lucky to have them you know in my corner and just just pick their brain about you know overseas life and stuff. So I'm kind of considering that right now after I get my degree. So, but yeah, no, he's he's really been a been a huge impact in my life. I'd assume that like probably playing for the Rattlers kind of helps with that too. Just the guys that you're around, they obviously have professional experience. Yeah, that was yeah. Last summer was was man, that was a good experience for me. Even though it obviously didn't go as planned, like I it's literally just I think two days ago, I think it was a year from uh, two days ago, I tore my um, ligament in my ankle. So it was in training camp. I think the first I don't know, it was like the first drill of like the Saturday. I think it was third day of training camp. It was like the first drill I like rolled my ankle really bad. But now, like honestly, looking back at it, like that, even though it wasn't. You know, uh, summer I played a lot and, and I just like rehab, but this is a good summer for me to just, you know, sit with these guys and, you know, to sit down in practices and just like watch them just, you know, battle out every day and just, you know, be around that environment and kind of get a taste of what a pro ball, you know, is really like. Like these guys, you know, put in enormous amounts of work. Like it's literally their full-time job. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool being around guys like, you know, like Negus Webster-Chan, like I roomed with him like Tavion Dawson, like all these like, like incredible basketball players. So 
it's just I don't know. I couldn't I couldn't ask for a better summer. Honestly, it was good. Uh, obviously, your brother uh, didn't choose the prep school route back in high school, but did you ever have that as an option when you went instead of going to Labolis, like maybe grade eleven, twelve, going to a prep school? Yeah, I had a eye-opening moment. I was, I think it was grade eleven. I was like so, you know. I was just so excited, like not excited, but I wanted to go to the States so bad. Like I didn't, like all these schools, like CI schools were talking to me, but I just always just like put them in, like I didn't really pay him no mind. Like I was just so focused on getting like D1 and all that, like no looks and all that. So I think it was like the summer of my grade 11 year, I went to Vegas for like a ID camp. And one of the guys I went there down there with was starting a prep school and like, he wanted me to go so bad, but like the thing is, he's charging like twenty grand or something. It was like something ridiculous, and like he was just starting up. Like he had no facilities, like no players. That he's just starting from the ground up. So it was kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like sketchy at first, and you know, but like as a young kid, I just wanted it's like he just taught feed me all this like you know all the good stuff I wanted to hear about prep schools and traveling and the scouts that's going to be there. So I was super kind of intrigued by it, but I was really just wasn't really listening to. I guess my parents at the same time because they were feeding me like the facts about like man like this guy's really has no credibility as a, as a prep school in vegas actually i can't remember the name i think it was i can't remember the name right now but a couple of my buddies actually went um down there and yeah they had a terrible experience to, <laughs> to sum it up so i'm glad i made the right decision to just stay here and, and get a good education so you hear those stories quite a bit hey with those yeah, prep yeah, schools. yeah it is yeah, yeah. But, is like, it kind of crazy to like look back at your time at Laboldis and like maybe you appreciate it a bit more like holy shit we won so much yeah oh yeah like looking back especially with it's like the the core we had with two like like guys like Carter Miller and you know Ben Hillis like those guys man like couldn't ask for better teammates so it sucks obviously now just like playing against them and all that but, but yeah I'm glad like they're they're taking off like Carter had a really you know successful season seeing him come back he literally had a bat, like, I don't know what surgery or what he got surgery on, but it was on his back. And he literally came back, like, nothing happened. Like, he was flying around, dunking, shooting, like, got better. So, it was like, man, I like, seeing that was, it was maybe just, you know, just happy for him. So, no, like that, yeah, that, those years of the Bulldogs were definitely something I'll cherish forever. For those of you that don't know, you played quarterback as well at the Bulldogs. Was that ever, like, a – choice for you like did you ever really consider football or maybe did any schools offer you to play football and basketball yeah um funny thing is, is i actually had more football offers than basketball so i don't know for some reason i just like i, I obviously like I, don't, I enjoy football but i didn't really think that i could go far with it i don't know if that means yeah yeah i don't know because I, well, I didn't want to play anything else but quarterback like I, I don't like hitting. I don't like getting hit. So I just felt like quarterback was like. like Where did um, teams want to move you? DB or? Yeah, DB or receiver. Okay. Did you ever think about going to Guelph and playing with Jamal and Kid? Yeah, I met with actually. I met with their coach. I remember in grade twelve. Yeah, he took me out for supper and would try to recruit me. But I don't know. I just, I just didn't really think it was the right path for me. I don't know. Looking back at it now, I think I made the right decision. Yeah, but. exactly. So was there uh, anything that the Huskies really did in specific that kind of lured you in, or you were just kind of almost set on them from? Oh yeah, till this day they still they still bug me to try to get to play for them, but I don't think it'll happen. <laughs> oh wait, like the football team tries to get you? Oh yeah. Oh, that's awesome. 
No, I can't do it though. I don't think Barry will allow that. <laughs> but no, it's it's been it's been fun. Like I, I can't complain. Obviously, like the main reason why I avoided football was number one for injuries. But obviously, that didn't really work out because I've been injured like <laughs> every year with basketball. And number two, the weather. I just I hate playing in the cold. So. Cold practice. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, like November when that time comes. Oh my god, I'm good. Yeah. How did you uh, narrow down on the Huskies besides, like, it was close to home, not too far away, but was there any other factors that made you choose U of S instead of potentially any other schools? I would say the, because if I originally wanted to be a, a civil engineer, so their engineering program here is obviously, like, one of the top in the country, so that was one of my priorities to come here. And I would say, yeah, just this the environment like I remember meeting with Matt Forbes my first visit and just how I don't know if you guys remember Matt Forbes but he was like uh, he played with my brother actually in Team Sask and yeah he's like one of like I don't know I think he has some records in Husky books but I'm not too sure but yeah he he really I don't know, pushed the, this program on me and really took me in like family so like guys like that like we had a like a family environment that I really enjoyed about this team. So. You were named to the Canada West and U Sports All-Rookie teams in year one. Was there something about that transition for you that like made that transition to the next level so seamless? Or was that kind of maybe even a part of just the overall atmosphere with the Huskies that helped? It's kind of both. Because I remember going in my I, – like I didn't really find like it was too – like going from high school to college was too hard or anything. But I feel like it's like the terminology. Like it was just more thinking. I don't know. It wasn't really the – faster like you know people say oh the game is so much faster i don't think it was faster i think it was just you had to be more mentally like capable and i think guys like you said like forbes and just really like kept me up to speed and really you know asked a lot of me and and helped to have um if you guys know jaquin bennett boer he's actually from saskatoon but we came here both as rookies and i remember our first tournament we went to victoria we played carlton in our uh, third game. And I guess it's like right after I think they won a national championship. And like, that was like, man, that was a crazy game I've ever been a part of. And we ended up beating them by two. That was like the most hype we've ever been. Like, and we didn't even have like Forbes or Shane playing. And it was literally just me and Jaquin like leading the team. So I kind of got our confidence like up and everything. So I just took off from there. I don't know, it was this guy just like, literally just stepping up to the plate and just, and just giving me confidence. And yeah, I didn't really find like it was that I don't know, big of a difference from high school to college. I don't know how I was really lucky to have you know, a good veteran team and leadership around me, so it made it easy. You've struggled with injuries the past couple of years. How tough has that been mentally to kind of not being able to be out there with the guys? Yeah, it's been it's been quite the, I don't know, last few years. Um, how I basically just go about it is just uh, honestly just think that things can be worse. Like, that's really how I've been getting by. Like, I was thinking about, you know, things like all across the uh, overseas, like, man, kids are starving. I'm really just, like, dealing with a little ankle injury. Like, I can obviously just be grateful for what I have right now. And obviously, it sucks, like, just sitting on the bench and seeing you guys, you know, battle it all every day. You want to be out there with them. But at the same time, I just i am appreciative of everything that's, that's happened with me so far. Like, I really got, you know, a lot of people in my corner and that really support me. So that's been helping a lot. Yeah, no, I just try to stay positive. That's literally the biggest thing. I don't know, every every day something uh you know, everything could be something could be worse. So I just I just try to stay positive.
Uh, as a commerce guy, what do you have for mind in the future? Like, obviously, your brother just got that coaching de- or player developmental job at Colorado yeah. State. So, is uh, coaching maybe something you'd like to do? Or um, I'm not really. No, I'm not really a coaching type. I'm not really a raw, raw guy. But I don't know. Eventually, I kind of obviously want to stay in the sports field, either in basketball or any like football, anything. Just trying to stay involved in sports as much as I can. Yeah, for right now, I'm getting a degree in management and like a minor in marketing. So kind of have, I don't know, my foot in some obviously with sports I said, and like kind of some with media in that situation, like kind of area. Um, and if not, if this, I don't know, I'm trying to. Just to expand on my explore different you know subjects and different things. So like right now with this summer opportunity, I've been working with a couple of construction engineering companies. So I'm just trying to just stay open and just you know try to put know, my mind just not in one you know category and just put myself in the box. So was there any talk about Joe coming home to play for the Rattlers? Um, they asked him. I think yeah, I think two years ago or before the season started but I don't think he's over pro ball and all that so I don't think he, he obviously he honestly he wanted to see how the first year went and then he was going to see if he wanted to do it but I think he's pretty I don't know he's pretty excited about how it went last year but I don't know we'll see but I think he's pretty content with where he is right now so what are you hearing regarding this year's season I don't think it's gonna happen. Yeah, bro. it looks pretty slim, hey. Yeah, that's that's tough. Especially yeah, especially all these guys definitely in, like in the states and all. I don't think they yeah, can, like, and then they get a quarantine and everything when they come here. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's gonna happen. So it's unfortunate, but I don't know. You just gotta just keep stay positive. That's literally the only thing we can do. So. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the NBA situation? Do you see the league coming back? I don't think so. So I know these guys have been itching. Like here, you seeing like all these guys bored as hell making like TikTok videos and just trying to just kill time. Like, you know, I feel bad, but like everyone's just gotta just do their due diligence and just you know stay safe. And yeah, the, the faster we get this through, like, it's just a, it's a weird time to be going through right now. So everyone's just gotta just I don't follow protocol as best as we can. So. Yeah. What player do you look up and try to model your game after? Uh, so many. I don't know. It's weird because like I don't really have like a favorite. Like, I have a bunch of favorite players, but I don't really have a specific player I, like study from like every day. Like, I don't, like every time I watch basketball, I also try to learn and study. But it's not like one particular player that I I don't know that I find myself that I relate to. But a lot of people kind of compare me to Terry Rozier. You guys know who that is, yeah. I literally watch everyone. I, if I had to pick like a favorite player right now, probably John Moran. That guy, man, that guy is crazy. <laughs> just seeing him, like how he just flourished in the league like that, like, he's definitely something. Like, he's going to be an all-star in the league for sure. So it's him and Shai Gilgis are my two favorite right now. Is there like a pro guy that you played against, like in the coming up or at the Nationals or anything? I remember grade, I want to say grade like nine. I don't know Lindell Wigginton. I played against him. You know Scotia kid? Yeah, yeah, I played against him. He went to Iowa State. I played against Jimmer for dead, actually. Was, really? Yeah, that was crazy. That's unreal. I was like, <laughs> I got a visit at uh, Denver, my grade 11 year. And, like, I remember I was just, like, getting, because like, I did my tour or whatever, so, like, now it's, like, nighttime. We're about to do this uh, open gym. And, like, 
we're all like shooting around, getting warmed up, and then like this guy, and like I can see him like far away, but I can't really recognize him. He's like walking, he's like wearing like all Under Armour stuff. So like okay, this guy kind of looks like big time. <laughs> and then like I didn't really recognize him at first when we were, we were playing, and then he ended up like guarding me. And then, like as I'm like getting closer, I'm like this guy looks like doing for it, but I didn't like say anything. I didn't want to like you know get all like super like. Lovey dovey, and like, yo, like, kind of day picture. I was just yeah. trying to play like, cool. I was like, really live. I remember this guy, like, came and smacked like three threes from like literally like half court. Half court. Like, all cash. Like, you got jimmered. Court. Yeah, like, it was the craziest thing I've ever experienced. Like, made me look so bad in front of all these coaches. <laughs> <laughs> like, Where all did you? That was like the ultimate. That's unreal. <laughs> and like, that's the thing is, like, he's not even like considered like. He's not even in the NBA, you know, he's like one of the, the lower league or lower tier players in the NBA. Like he didn't even make basketball. Yeah. So it's like man, he, that's that just puts in perspective like how talented these guys are. So like yeah, if, if I had to list one I guess I don't know, NBA player or NBA talent, that's that's definitely one of the hardest people I played against. Yeah. Where else did you go on visits? Um Surprisingly, only there in, in Saskatchewan. Really? Like, literally, yeah. Like, yeah, that was honestly the, yeah, that's the only two visits I went on. But, yeah, it was good. You just weren't about that or what? Yeah, I was just like. If you knew where you wanted I to go. My, yeah, some like yeah. my schedule didn't work out. Some like, I just, that was the only two I went um, for some reason. And I went to like that ID camp. Like, like, I don't know. I didn't really go on visits much. I should have, like, now thinking back now, I, I wish I would have went. And just like you know, I wasn't gonna like consider school, but just go and just listen to see what they had to say. But yeah. I didn't really like. I was super stubborn back then. Like I didn't want to. You know, I was so focused on like why would I waste my time with this? Like you know, if I'm not gonna go there. So we have our other member on the team here. Yeah. <laughs> see him over there. He's crushing beer, man. Hey, Chan. <laughs> I'm good buddies with the Doer boys. What's it like playing with those guys? Mm. I know they're great, great guys. Me and Addison yeah, go man. way. I don't know, man. Both of them are like they're both funny in their own ways. It's crazy. Like they're they're funny dudes. I like them, especially playing like they're good teammates as well. Like, man, like they're super accountable. Like can't ask for better teammates. And like, Alice is definitely going to be special in this league for sure. He's already doing putting up crazy numbers as a second year. So yeah, I'm excited to see how he pans out. Like, he kind of reminds me of I don't know if you remember Ben Baker played for the Huskies. I think. Twenty before I came here, I remember twenty fourteen. I think, but yeah, he kind of reminds me of him. He's just man. He's got a motor on him. He's just man. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how he pans out. Do you guys? Do you go to Graham or something? We went to Hardy. Except the Murray guy, but okay. Yeah, I went to Murray, man, because uh, me and my brother went to Murray. And <laughs> I remember when uh, your brother posterized uh, Graham Black back. Oh, in the uh, <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I was I'm like, really all over the gyms. that poster was all over the gyms, man. It was making waves back yeah. in the day. <laughs> that was crazy. I've, really, I've been boys with the Dewar since back in the day. <laughs> I used to go to the Husky football games. With, oh, so, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we used to kick it. I remember we used to play. Um, we used to catch those little foam footballs back in the day. Up in the stands <laughs> and we used, to play, we used to play behind the bleachers. We wouldn't even watch the games. We were just all about the little – Touch football back in the day. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah, me and the Dewar boys go way back. 
Did you chirp Alex Leonard quite a bit when you guys were together on the Huskies about that win over Hardy and Hoopla? Yeah, how do you chirp know. Hardy, though? Come on. No, honestly, like, man, that game was crazy. I don't know how we won that. <laughs> but, no, yeah, I remember, um, man, that team was sick. Like, Kyle Robinson, Alex Leonard. Connor J. Connor J. Preston McIntyre. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those boys used to be monsters back in the day. I remember watching them from the bleachers in U of S. Yeah. Oh, man. City finals with those Hardy boys was unbelievable. And Mitch Proctor. I can't forget Mitch Proctor. A Perota, too. <laughs> what was your first impression of Dinesh? Oh, buddy. Man, this guy is funny, man. He's a super like animated. I was like, yo, who is this kid? Like, I was like, cause, like, he just. He just, I don't know, he's super friendly. He knows, like, especially he talks about sports, he knows he's talking about. So, I, just, I don't know, I kind of gravitated towards him. remember him in uh, Locious 105. That professor was wild. <laughs> yeah, man. Better hoops tourney, Brit or Lit, man? Ooh, damn, that's actually a great question. I never thought of that. I'd say in terms of, like, competition, I'd say Brit for sure. Like, we had teams, like, all over, like, the country and some. Like, that, I think, Australian team. Graham beat them. Yeah, I remember the that. Doers, yeah. Yeah. The Dewar boys, my man. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, like, yeah, in terms yeah, that. And then in terms of, like, environment, I would say uh, LIT. Especially when I was in the old gym. Like, man, like. Cause I played there, yeah. I think it was, I played there the last year. It was holding the old gym, and then the first year was in the new gym. Hey, Chan, would you believe me if I said one time Addison came out to my cabin and I beat him in a game of horse? Would you believe me? <laughs> this was two years ago. Mm-hmm. I swear on my life. I beat him. Damn. I have to confirm. Okay, we're going to get the Dewar boys on here coming up soon, and we're going to yeah. have to confirm the story. But yeah. I, I beat them. Damn. Both of them are just out of you. Uh, no, it was just Addy, not oh, Alex okay. Rose. It probably would have been game over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta confirm your story. Was there like a city final or like provincial final where you're maybe like a bit less confident where you guys were kind of like thinking, Hey, like maybe we don't pull this one out. Um, not really, man. Like, honestly, I don't really like in high school. I don't know. I just had like, their team just had some supreme confidence. I don't know. Yeah. Like, you just like. Man, being around that team, like, their chemistry, our chemistry was just crazy. Because like, we really played with each other since, like, grade school. Like, literally from, like, grade four and up, we all played in the same club team. So, literally, we just, <laughs> man, like, we really weren't scared of nothing. Like, we played in all these tournaments down south growing up. I like, went to, like, Vegas, like, Montana, all these little tournaments, played against, like, you know, was, you know, every one of those tournaments, you know, it was, like, 20-year-olds, uh, you know, playing the grade 18, you know, it was old as hell, but we just sold this battle with them. Like, we just went to war every game so i don't know there wasn't really one game that i was really confident also what's your uh go-to meal in the kitchen Jeez, i'm not really a chef bro hey there's <laughs> one of us on the podcast who's an absolute stunner cook i want you bro. to guess who it is no nah, i can't be you bro. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> eric claims that he's a good chef and he, he's trying to we're trying to see. Hey, what you have for supper today? Good chef, and he, he's trying to. We're trying to see. Hey, what you have for supper today? Um, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I've been I've been ripping the pilsners pretty hard for supper tonight. <laughs> but hey, but before the pilsners, I cooked up some nice hamburgers. 
broccoli and asparagus to go with it. So it was actually a pretty solid meal. You barbecued it or you just put it on the stove? Oh, no, no. I'm a barbecue guy. I ripped the grill pretty hard. Yeah. Every, everything was done on the grill, so. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm more of a, uh, more of a breakfast guy. I make, you know, pancakes, eggs, make some eggs, Benny, now and then. Mm. Yeah. I really get in the kitchen, bro. Yeah, this guy is always a Marquee Hall, man. That's always a Marquee Hall, man. Oh, oh, shots fired. Shots fired. Oh, no. I always see him there. I was talking about <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You there. If, you're, if you're there, you're, <laughs> yeah. if you're yeah, seeing him there, there, you're there. What do you think of U of S fans? Like, how are they compared to other schools? Like, do we even, like, compare to, like, UBC or, say, Manitoba or Alberta? Like, what's the comparison? Yeah. Another great question. I don't know. It's weird because, like, you see – it's tough because you, you go to the girls' games and you see, like, their fan base is, like, crazy. Like, especially going to like, Canada's final and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, you see, like, literally you can't even find a seat. Yeah, me and Chan walked into that game. We saw each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we both oh, like, Yo, the lineup was across the door. Like, Yo, come on, bro. We were both like shook, man. Yeah. Hey, Chan, no, I have one. Fans. I have a celebrity <laughs> appearance for you. BG, I need you. What do you think of the U of S dance team supporting you guys? Oh, <laughs> amazing. Yeah? yeah? We love it. We love it. We need all, we need more of you guys, honestly. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> that was good. Yo, Chad. Yeah. Um, question for you. <laughs> um, have you ever listened to all the Smoke podcasts with Matt Barnes? Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. That's my favorite podcast right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Barnes <laughs> always asks, what have you been listening to? What have you been jamming to? Damn. I'd say an artist probably have to be like, that's hard because like, I don't know. I always, either future. I'd say uh, Lil Baby is definitely in there. Well, Lil Baby. Right now, like Polo G, that guy's tough. Oh, that guy's tight. Yeah. What about Polo T Grizz? G. Yeah, what What are your thoughts on T Grizzly? T Grizzly, he's nice, but I don't know. He's kind of like running out of stuff to talk about. He's pretty hard, though, eh? Yeah, he's like hard, yeah, but like he's kind of just like. We love T Grizzly. Yeah, dirty, yeah. All right, Chan, uh, pleasure uh, for you to take the time to chat with us today. Yeah, no, my pleasure, bro. Thanks for having me, man. It's awesome, man. We'll hope to keep in touch here. Yes, sir. <laughs> Take care, bro. Appreciate it, man. Uh, so it was announced on uh, Friday that local tennis courts in Saskatoon will be opening. This is music to my ears. DB, I know we've had a couple uh, one-sided matchups over the years with me coming out on top of every single one, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting back out there. That's a bold-ass lie. I think the series is even. But, uh, yeah, we got to uh, get the doubles action back to the heater bros, me and Eric. Oh, absolute heaters down the line. Heaters down the line, backhand, forehand, drop shots. I've got it all in my arsenal, man. I'm ready to bring it out, show the, show the world what I'm made of. Looking forward to it. For all the listeners out there, if you go by the courts and you hear someone just absolutely grunting like uh, Sharapova, Matt Johnson on the tennis courts after he hits his, his forehand backhand shots. Let's sort of get old. Ah. Speaking of uh, opening in Saskatoon, uh, Hooters sounds like they're going to be opening up a restaurant here in the city. Eric, uh, you've had a couple experiences in Hooters internationally. What, what are your thoughts on that uh, development? Yeah, I've definitely um, 
definitely not a Hooters virgin, that's for sure. Um, been been to a couple Hooters in my time. Um, I think they're absolutely disgusting. In my, like, the food is horrific. Like, you just go there for the action jacks, and that's the only reason you sit your ass in those seats at Hooters. But um, honestly, I went there in Vegas, and there were some cannons walking around. But um, Edmonton was a pretty pretty poor. What I'm thinking, though, there needs to be a Hooters bar. Not a restaurant. Screw the food. It's awful, expensive, and disgusting. They need a Hooters bar. That's my two cents, boys. I don't know how you guys feel. Never been to Hooters, so can't really say much. You're not missing much. I think we'll wrap it up there. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Stay tuned next week for a big interview with the Saskatoon legend. Be dialed into our Instagram at Prairie Perspective Podcast for the details. Until then.